Hello, everyone. It brought tears to my eyes to hear you sing tonight. Um, there's so many of you that I have relationship with and know well, and some of you I don't know quite as well. Probably the number one, well, first of all, I'm Trina Fowler. How many of you don't know me? A few of you. Um, my husband and Steve was on staff for 17 years at Salem Alliance, and um, we took a new position, he did, uh, in January. And my number one questions I get asked is, how's Steve's new job? Um, so he works out of Portland. His office is very close to the Target near the airport, um, kind of that IKEA complex, but on the opposite side near Target. And he goes into the office about three days a week, and the rest of the time he's either on the road or working from home. So I think it was September that he put 3,500 miles on the car. So he drives as far as Orofino, Idaho, and then up into Seattle. So he's got, uh, he covers Oregon, Washington, Northern Idaho, and Alaska. And so he, I think he's been to Alaska once, probably one of his favorite places. He really likes to go there during fishing season, as you'll see in a second. But um, So it's going well. There's so much he misses about Salem Alliance. Um, you're just a very unique church in that um, you just have done life, leadership, um, conflict, vision well over your history of 100 years. So there's just so much about that he misses, but you've taught him so much so that when he goes into struggling churches, he really has the small church experience when we were pastoring Kelso. He has the overseas experience from Hong Kong and the large church experience from Salem. So really God's equipped him to do exactly what he's doing. So he's encouraged. Um, some of my favorite uh, things that he tells me are just like sometimes board members are brought to tears because of his leadership. You know, they just have struggled, struggled, struggled. And I think when you're in a small community and you've always done things the way you've done things, having a new set of eyes is just so refreshing. So I love that he gets to empower board members and the pastors to do what they need to do because we're all about bringing the kingdom of God here on earth and seeing people um, come to Jesus in our churches. So... I'm still at the clinic. Um, Steve said that I've moved around the world with him, so it's his turn to stay put and be with me. So I just commute to the corner of Broadway and Hood from West Salem, so it's very convenient. Um, I lead an amazing team at the Salem Free Clinics, um, so we're continuing to do free medical, dental, mental health medication management, and counseling at the Free Clinic. Um, we're probably gonna see nearly 6,000 patient appointments this year. Um, I met with a doctor over lunch today. Part of her story is gonna be in my uh, talk tonight, but it's just a joy. It's a joy to be Jesus's hands and feet in such a practical way. And for people to scratch their head and they're like, why is this free? Why are you here? Why do you love me? Um, so it's really a fun place to be. Another thing I get to do is I work four tens, um, so I get to spend Mondays with my grandkids. So Anna's gonna help us back there. So this is us, uh, we go to Eagle Crest every year. We've done it for probably 17 years. Um, so those are eight of our nine grandkids. 
The next picture is of what we do best. We all love to fish. So the grandkids are like, I asked them what their favorite part of vacation was, and it was fishing. So this is Charlie and Chase. Uh, this is Riv. Uh, they're catching crappie and bass. And this is Steve and I. So we get to go out on the river with each other once in a while. So uh, a trick of a fisherman, so you all know this now, if you bring it out from your body, the fish looks at least a third bigger than it actually is. So as you notice, Steve's arms are always like this bicep is trembling. So yeah, so the fish is big, but it's not that big. So um, and this last picture... Oh my goodness, we had twins six months ago. So our son Cal and his wife Alex had twins, that's Frankie in the white and Elliot in the brown, and I get to watch them on Mondays and their two-year-old brother. And then I, the rest of the week I get to pray for Alex and how hard it is. <laughs> so, wow, I'm feeding two babies at the same time. One day this last month, I was feeding two babies. One baby had a blowout, one, the two-year-old vomited, and I'm like, okay, I can do this. So she just, she's such a relaxed mom, and it's just such a blessing to see how relaxed she is. So I just know sometimes there are somebody crying. Somebody's crying for some reason, and I don't know why, but um, having three under two is very busy. And then I pick up um, my other grandkids after school. So load all of these three into the car and go pick up kiddos at Chapman Hill and bring them home for the afternoon. So very fun. I love that my board at the free clinics says, yes, you get to take Mondays off and be a grandma. So um, those days go by really fast. Our oldest will be 12. Uh, oldest grandchild will, will be 12 in January. So we all know how fast it goes. So it doesn't seem like it's going to be fast when they're little, but it is fast. So I wanted to tell you a story about me in the bathroom. Uh, so two weeks ago, I was in a crowded public bathroom, and the lines were long, and the impatience of the people there was rising. I was waiting for my friend as she stood in the line to go wash her hands, uh, and I noticed out of the corner of my eye as I'm standing by the door, a woman talking on her, her cell phone uh, with it, you know, crouched under her chin, and then she's wrangling like probably a nine-month-old on the changing table. Um, she seemed upset, um, and I darted over to my friend who's irritated because there's a woman in front of her that's not moving. And the woman is just like drying her hands and drying her hands and drying her hands, you know, but she's looking at the mom on the cell phone. Um, I can see my friend, her, in her internal voice is saying, Come on, she's a very efficient person. Come on, let's direct this traffic, get this line moving. But the, land, the line was at a standstill for quite a while. And the reason was that the woman who was sitting at the sink washing her hands was observing the mom uh, at the changing table. And when she hung up the phone, she walked over to the mom and she said, is there something I can help you with? And the mom was crying. But none of us noticed this, but this woman there did. And the mom says, I don't have any baby wipes, um, and my baby needs to be changed. And so the woman says, I'll go dampen some hand towels. So she turned around, she dampened some hand towels, and she gave um, the woman the hand towels to change her baby. So what was going on in the bathroom seemed like such an annoyance. Yet this one woman stood there and looked over and saw a need. 
And she realized, wow, I need to do something about this. She went over, she helped this mom by damping these hand towels and handing them to her. The mom just had extreme gratitude when she looked up at her. And it just confirmed something that I felt like God's been working in my heart over the last few months. And it's this, that kindness matters. What seemed like an annoyance to everyone else in, the bath, in, in that bathroom was such a gift to that mom. And I don't know who she was talking on the phone with, but she was obviously upset. And just that simple gesture of dampening those hand towels and handing them to her just changed things. So for just a couple seconds, I want you to think about who would you describe in your life as one of the most kind persons that you know? That's the person that just excels at kindness. They might even be the valedictorian of kindness in your life. So if you wouldn't mind, just for a few seconds around your table, pair up with one person, two of you, or it could be three, and just talk about who is that person and why are they kind? What makes them kind? So I'm going to give you a few minutes to do that. All right, if you guys have each shared, I'm going to bring you back up here. I hope you were able to think of someone who was marked by kindness. Um, I alluded to the person that I was thinking about uh, this week as one of the kindest people I know, and her name's Catherine. Uh, Catherine is, is a mom of four. She had a toddler, then she had twins two years later just like our daughter-in-law, Alex, and our son, Cal. Catherine knows what it's like to have a busy toddler and then two little ones. When Alex was pregnant and had the twins, uh, she said, I think this might be helpful for Alex, and gave her a twin carrier so you can carry two twins at the same time and still run after a toddler. She gave us advice over and over again. She kept saying, you've got this. It's hard, but you've got this. She said, one of the, the best things that happened to me is my husband went back to work because I was able just to organize my life. So I was able to share that with Alex, like, you've got this, there will be systems that you'll put into place that you don't have in place when you have the extra help. And sure enough, Alex did. Another thing that makes Catherine unique is that she's a doctor. So she serves as a volunteer at Salem Free Clinics. And about a month ago, we had um, a clinic volunteer share a story with us. So Catherine was in the room with a patient, and she had sat down next to the patient, and that patient said later to us that he had never been to a doctor's appointment before where their doctor didn't have their hand on the doorknob. So unintentionally, the doctor was communicating, I don't have time for you. So Catherine had sat down next to him, and she spent a half an hour listening to him, his story. And the nurse said that when he walked out of there, he actually appeared to be about three feet taller because he was standing upright, his shoulders were back, and he had hope on his face again. So kindness matters. Catherine demonstrated that, and it was evident in the patient that was walking out of the clinic. I'm going to talk to you tonight about a biblical character that embodies kindness. This is a, 
a person whose kindness is visible to others. She's like the woman in the crowded bathroom who dampened the hand towels for that young mom. She's like Catherine who gives Alex the baby carrier and then spends time with her patients. This person from the Bible is kind like the person you named around your tables. This person's name is Ruth, and we're going to spend some time unpacking Ruth's kindness as we kind of look, dig into chapters one and two. If you have your Bibles, if you go to Ruth chapter one, you can follow along with me as I read. In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. Then Elimelech died. And Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malon and Kilion died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. Then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab to return to her homeland. With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. No, they said, we want to go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, why should you go with me? Can I still birth to, give birth to other sons who would grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters, return to your parents' homes, for I am too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and, you, and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else? No, of course not, my daughters. Things are far more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. And again they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. So the two of them continued on their journey. When they came to Bethlehem, the entire town was excited by their arrival. Is it really Naomi, the women asked. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer? And the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, a Moabite woman. They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. 
I just want to say tonight that sometimes we'll skip to what seems good, but I think before we really dig into what the kindness part means, we need to sit in some of the sorrow. And when I read this story about Naomi and Ruth, really what stands out in the beginning is the loss. Naomi's loss was not just one loss, but loss after loss after loss, and then loss again. The first loss I want to highlight is the economic loss. These types of losses can produce fear in us and stress and anxiety. I think we can all remember times in our life when money was tight and food was scarce, and that's scary. Think about the stress the pandemic created or the anxiety produced by the economic downturn because so many people couldn't go to work. Just as everyone was impacted by the pandemic, everybody in Judah was affected by the famine and the economic loss. Naomi then was affected by her loss of community. Her husband made the decision to move from Bethlehem to Moab. When you're in your community, life is familiar. You know where to get your hair done. You know where to get your groceries. You know where you're going to go to synagogue or to church. You know who your friends are. You know who to call on Friday night to play cards. Naomi loses the comfort of her community as her husband makes this tough decision. So Naomi moves from her place of stability to Moab, and then we read more loss. Tragedy strikes, and Naomi loses her husband. Elimelech was her rock. He's the person she leaned on in this new home. He was her constant, and now he was gone. Perhaps there's some of you here today that know that loss of losing a spouse. The accumulation of economic loss, loss of community, and home with all its comforting rhythms combined with now the tragic loss of her husband. I just can't even imagine. It's too much to think about. But I'm sure she was thinking, at least I have my two sons. And they married such amazing women who she loves deeply. But then we read, there's more loss. Naomi loses both her sons. We don't know if there was a farming accident, if they both came down with the same illness, but we do know that the unthinkable happens. Her two sons are now gone. I can't imagine the loss of losing a child, let alone your children. What do you do when you experience loss after loss after loss? I know that some of us came in this room just feeling the weight of loss. Some of you walked in going, I'm not sure I'm going to know where to sit or who to sit by. Some of you have had multiple losses that include death, illness, could be divorce, broken relationships, could be a job loss, financial hardship, dreams that you thought were going to come true that haven't come true. I just want us to realize that all of us are somewhere in Naomi's story. And so when we're looking out into a world that seems so harsh and cruel right now, we need to remember that there's loss in their lives as well. Just as we have loss, 
those that we're bumping up against, like the woman at the changing table, there's loss in their life. And I think it will help us to extend some grace when we're bumping up about against people that seem like maybe they're a little bit prickly, but we don't know what loss they just experienced. Before I jump back into the story of Naomi and how Ruth intersects with her mother-in-law, I just wanna pause and pray for us because I think this season is difficult for some of us. I think some of us expected it would look different around a Christmas tree in December. And so I recognize that some of you are hurting in the month of December and it might be one of the hardest months of the year for you. So I just want to pray that God would just open your ears to what he has to say to you tonight. Because I'm guessing that there's going to be one aha moment that he's going to have you take away that will help you get through the rest of December. So Jesus, I lift these women up to you right now. And as I prayed for them this week and I thought about this first part of this message and the losses that we have experienced as a nation, as a state, as a world, and as a city, Lord, our city and our state are made up of individuals and some of those individuals are in this room right now. So Jesus, I just pray that you would go to the deep places that hurt so deeply, that your healing balm, the balm of Gilead, the Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, would just minister to these individuals and the hurts that they're carrying into the holiday season. Lord, I pray that hope would rise. I pray that each day of this month that you would show up in just a way that they would know without a doubt that you see them. Some of their favorite things, Lord, would just be right in front of their eyes, a favorite song, a favorite verse. But Lord, over and over again, that you would remind them that you've got them, that you've got their back, that you see the heartache, that you catch every tear, and that you love them so, so much. So Lord, as we continue into this message, may we be instruments of your kindness to those that are hurting around us. Lord, we love you and we just thank you that you do offer us the hope that we've sung about tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for letting me do that for you. So after all these tragedies, we read that Naomi decides to head back to Bethlehem. Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah pick up their belongings and they make the trek back home to Naomi's hometown. We don't know why, but all of a sudden, Naomi has such a strong conviction that Orpah and Ruth should not come along with her. I think it's one of the most selfless acts because she's actually producing more grief for herself because these are the individuals that know the depth of the heartache that she's been through. They've been with her through the death of her sons. They knew her as the woman who lost her dad, uh, her, their husband, their father-in-law. So I think it's such a selfless act that she would say, go home and be with your families, marry somebody from your own hometown. And I love the fact that Jesus doesn't say one of them made the right or wrong choice. Orpah and Ruth made different decisions, but they were both the right choice. 
Sometimes God does that for us. There isn't a right or wrong choice, but they're both right choices. So I love that Orpah went home, but Naomi says, no way, I'm not going home. She says, to, Ruth on the other hand expresses sacrificial kindness, clinging to Naomi and says, don't ask me to leave you. We read this verse and turned back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. It's one of the most famous verses that we hear out of scripture in the book of Ruth. Naomi sees Ruth's kindness is heartfelt and there's no changing her mind and she allows Ruth to continue the journey with her. You've already heard me state that kindness matters. I've had this theme in my mind for the last several months. I've been just pondering about the just the high mental health needs in our community, in our nation. And I've just been asking the Lord over and over again, what's going on? And as I prayed, and I thought about what has changed in the lives of people over these last three years, the theme that just kept coming to my mind is the famine of kindness. And I really feel that our nation right now has a famine, like the famine of Judah, we have a famine of kindness. Kindness in our nation is lacking. Kindness in Portland is lacking. Kindness in Salem is lacking. Kaiser, Dallas, the freeways, River Road, Wallace Road, the West Salem Bridge, all of these places, you just see a rise in anxiety in people and kindness is lacking. I want us to dig into Ruth chapter two. I'm gonna read a couple of the first verses and then I'm gonna break it down. And we're gonna look at kindness and how we can be people that make a difference through the example of Ruth and her kindness. Now there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech. So the first thing I want us to observe <clears throat> is going to be found in Ruth 2.4. It says, just then, well, first of all, I want to say kindness matters because it can create a culture of kindness. Thank you, Anna, for keeping me on track back there. Um, the verse that goes along with that says, just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeting the, greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. What strikes you about this passage? Boaz arrives to the field. He calls out to his workers and says, the Lord be with you. And they say back to him, the Lord bless you. I think it expresses what values are in this particular field. 
Did you notice how he greeted his employees and they greeted him back? He is obviously a person who his employees enjoy working for and he enjoys his employees. He treated his employees with dignity and respect or they wouldn't be ones that would reply in that way. He must have taken the time to acknowledge them when they came to the field on a regular basis and they acknowledged him back. Boaz's uh, business must have had a culture of kindness. What's the culture that you're cultivating? If you think about your home, what is the culture that you're cultivating? What is your regular rhythm? Is it good morning to each individual in your home and they say good morning back? Is it kissing your husband so that your kids can see that you love each other? Is it acknowledging each other as you walk through the door, whether it's a friend or a spouse? If you work outside the home, what's the culture that you're cultivating in your workplace? I think it's interesting because Boaz was one person, yet he affected the entire field of workers. Kindness matters because you can actually transform a culture by what comes out of your mouth and how you treat people. I wanna say number two, kindness matters because people matter. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, what does this young, or who does this young woman belong to? Which is an interesting way to put it. The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said to me, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. I want to suggest to you that people felt seen by Boaz and valued. He notices the people around him. He not only notices who are the regulars, he notices people that aren't normally there. Have you ever walked into a place, maybe even tonight, and somebody that you didn't know greets you? I think there's such power in people greeting one another and people noticing that you're there, but I think the converse is true as well. You walk into a room and nobody says hi or nobody acknowledges you, and that can be hard, that can be painful. I know I had a friend that moved recently to um, Arizona and she had been to six churches and not one person had greeted her. And I feel like she's gotta take some ownership in that as well and she's gotta assert herself. But I think it's just a good reminder for me that I can get comfortable just going right to the people that I know. And so I've made a point that when I'm in a group that I'll make sure that I say hi to at least one person that I don't know. I find it fascinating that Boaz asks about this young woman in his field. It means that he recognized her. He took time to know the people around him, obviously, and he noticed people much like we should be noticing people. Number three, I wanna say that kindness matters because we reap what we sow. Solomon, who would be Ruth's great-great-grandson, wrote, those who plant injustice will harvest disaster and their reign of terror will come to an end. 
The generous are blessed because they feed the poor. Did you catch the cause and effect? The the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians 6, 7, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And Jesus had an opinion on this as well. Luke records Jesus saying, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Press down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give back. Ruth didn't expect to receive kindness. She was a foreigner in Bethlehem. Boaz specifically spoke kindly to her, which was shocking to her. And he let her know that her reputation had preceded her. He had heard about Ruth and how she had stuck by Naomi, even though she could have gone home to be with her own family. The word on the street in Bethlehem was, this woman was exceptionally kind. Ruth is actually reaping the kindness that she had sown or shown to Naomi, and it was coming back at her through Boaz. My question for you is, what are you sowing? What are you investing in that the Lord wants to give back to you? If you look at that passage of giving and Jesus says, you press it down, you shake it together. Have you ever shaken something together and it settles down even more? It's running over and it's pouring into your lap. It's just a picture that you can't outdo God. Like what you give is going to be generously poured back into you. And I just want to suggest that kindness is one of those things. As you are kind to others, you're going to change the countenance of the cash register attendant or the gas um, pumper attendant or the waitress or the waiter. Um, just anyone that you come in contact with, your kindness is contagious. Do you know that when you bless someone, the boomerang of blessing blesses you? It's like Jesus is incentivizing us by those passages that we read. The fourth thing I just want to say is that kindness matters as it produces comfort. Remember the young mom in the crowded public bathroom who was so grateful that a stranger dampened the hand towels so that she could change her baby? Catherine and her kindness to my kids and to her patients? The person that you were talking about around the table and how they represent kindness to you. Remember how grateful Naomi was that Ruth stayed with her. And now Ruth is in a foreign country and it's Ruth that needs the kindness. Boaz speaks to her and tells her to stay on his property and not to go to other farms. And then he tells Ruth to help herself to some grain. And then he promises protection from other men And then he gives her access to water when she's thirsty. He didn't need to do any of those things. It was customary that you picked up just the the heads of grain that had fallen, yet he goes above and above and above and shows kindness to her. She's actually stunned and reminds him, I'm a a foreigner, remember? I'm not from here, I'm, I'm from Moab. And then he reminds her of the kindness she provided to Naomi. Ruth is on her knees in shock and gratitude. 
And listen to what she says. In Ruth 4.13, she says, you have comforted me by speaking so kindly to me, even though I am not one of your workers. She tells Boaz that his kind words provided comfort to her. Kindness matters because it actually provides comfort. Remember all those losses that Naomi experienced. What if the people that we're seeing that I said were so prickly and unhappy, maybe if we saw them through the fact that maybe there's some loss in their life, that we would be willing, like Ruth was shown kindness, to show kindness to someone that's not deserving. Kindness matters because it can actually be the healing balm for our losses. I seek kindness all over Salem Alliance. It's one of the things that sets you apart. It's obvious in Feed Salem when you're handing a food box to someone. It's obvious when you're giving free medical care or your teenager is being comforted by their youth leader or you see a volunteer holding a baby so that a mom can worship uninterrupted in the church service. Kindness is all over this place. It's one of the things that I love about Salem Alliance. If we look in 1 Corinthians 13, love is defined for us. And we all know that passage. It shows up at weddings. But I want to just focus on one of the active ways love is expressed, expressed in verse 4. 1 Corinthians 13.4 announces Love is kind. Jesus had the audacity to say that the world would believe in him when we love one another. So get this, kindness matters because it just might be the key that leads someone to Jesus. Isn't that just astounding? I just, as I've been just wrestling with kindness for these last two months, the fact that love is kind it's just so simple and unprofound, yet so profound. Love is kind. Around your tables, I want you to take time and I want you to think of some ways that you can express kindness in this coming month. Think about someone. Oh, take the time to express kindness to someone. So I'd love for you to take a few minutes in the same group that you were in earlier and share something that you could do to express kindness to someone this month. Some of the things I thought of was writing a note, pay someone's bill. Um, what is it that Jesus might lay on your heart to do to be a person of kindness this month? Um, one of the things I love about Jesus is when he speaks to me, and I think, well, maybe it's not him. He brings it back around so many different ways. So even preparing this message, I'm like, Lord, this message is so basic. Am I sure this is what's on your heart? And it was my birthday in November. I get a gift on my desk at work, and I open it up, and I'm like, this is a very strange necklace. It was two uh, strands of gold, and these little dots, like circles, and rectangles. So dot, dot, rectangle, 
one dot, rectangle, dot, rectangle. And I'm like, what is this? So I look, I unwrap it a little bit more, and it's Morse code. And it says, guess what? Kindness. I mean, who, who gives somebody a necklace that's Morse code that says kindness when they're ruminating on what you should be speaking on and do I have the right message? And I wish I would have taken the picture of the next one and of the necklace. I was going to wear the necklace tonight, but I had put it in my jewelry box and it had wrapped up with all my other necklaces and I'm like, yeah, not going to unravel that today. Don't have the patience for that. Um, but... Uh, a friend of mine knew that I was speaking tonight, and um, she had prayed for me this week at work, and she texted me last Saturday, and she said, um, look at the cup that I got at uh, Dutch Brothers, and it was a blue lid, and embossed on the top, it said, kindness matters. I mean, Dutch Brothers didn't know that I was talking about kindness they didn't know that part of my message was kindness matter and just how we have the power influ influence as women um, through our kindness. So what I'd like you to do um, is pair up again with your, um, the person that you were with before and just whatever maybe God might be laying on your heart and maybe he even laid it on your heart before you came tonight. Is there anything ruminating in you that could be something that you could do that would be kind um, to someone else or to yourself this December? So spend a few minutes with your same group. Okay, I'm going to bring you back. Thank you so much. I had a good chat with someone that was just sharing that sometimes people aren't kind to you. You know, you can be in a workplace and um, what's coming at you isn't kind. I think of the verse, bless those who curse you. And I think of just being creative, asking Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, how would this person be encouraged by me? Just think of something that's not of you. Um, I think of the necklace and the cup and a couple other things that happened to me. But when you see a pattern that Holy Spirit's giving to you, maybe that's something that you can do for that person. And maybe it will change their countenance. There's a scripture that talks about a gift given changes the hearts of kings. So is there a gift, and it could just be a verbal gift, it could be a physical gift, you could overhear her saying something or he's, him saying something that's one of his favorites, and you make a note of that and say, hey, this reminded me of you, and a gift given changes the hearts of kings. So just be thinking about that. Sometimes messages can be given, and it seems like I've just tied everything up with this pretty bow, but life is messy. It all doesn't work out as pretty as the four points and kindness reigns. So um, just know I acknowledge that and life can be messy. I want to give you some extra credit. If you were brave, I'm not sure I would be brave enough. Maybe I would. Ask someone who loves you but isn't impressed by you, am I a kind person? Is there anything that I'm currently doing that is unkind? I probably should ask this of my husband. He'd be very honest. Um, so I want to leave you with this. 
I want to leave you with an imaginary scene that I think could be a reality in our lives. I want you to imagine families intentionally showing kindness to one another and a culture of kindness being established in your home. Imagine a neighborhood or an apartment being infected by kindness. Imagine the comfort and the love being experienced in a neighborhood. Imagine a church being so ridiculously kind to those they know and they don't know that people are scratching their heads saying, what is this place? What would happen and what could happen? There'd be such a deeply rooted culture of kindness that promoted healing that people would actually want to be around us. I believe hundreds, if not thousands of people would experience the kindness that Jesus asked us to, to exhibit with that one verse, love is kind. And I want us not to forget that it was God's kindness that led you to repentance. And that's from Romans 2.4. As we express God's kindness this season and as we look ahead into 2023, may more and more people be led to Jesus because of your life. Kindness matters. Jesus, I just pray this over these women, these women right now, that the, the tide of kindness would rise. I pray that the famine of kindness that we are experiencing, that it would just be displaced by one act of kindness at a time. I know, Jesus, that your heart is for the people. Lord, the enemy is the enemy. People are never the enemy. And it sometimes feels like that person that cut us off or was rude to us in the store is the enemy. But Jesus, we know they're not. So help us to be people that are kind. Holy Spirit, speak to our spirits and remind us what it looks like just to model you well. Thank you for giving us the example of the simple message that love is kind and that kindness matters. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for being here tonight. Don't forget, January 4th is the next gathering. And Merry Christmas.